0: You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. So every summer uh, we do a series, I don't know if anybody remembers it, called We Need to Talk About. I think um I'm not sure if COVID's disrupted it for the last two years or whether it's just last year. But uh, basically we try to sort of cover topics that the church maybe sort of sometimes really doesn't want to talk about or just that you don't ever really hear discussed from the front of church. So anybody that's been at our last two community forums would have been involved in some of those conversations and lots of you come up with some really great ideas uh, for sort of, yeah, topics that, that we uh, could cover. And as a church-steering group, we met to plan this series. We thought about all your suggestions and sort of think about what we should cover and any themes or trends, you know, topics that kept coming up. And uh, we's, we honestly, we sort of hit a bit of a wall, actually, which has sort of left us in a, led us in a slightly different direction. But I think where we've ended, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited by. So I think it was obviously lots of the topics were very random. They maybe related to sort of people's individual experiences or things that people were reflecting on. And lots of them we felt required, you know, like specialist knowledge or expertise, and i think as a church we're also trying to move away more from that idea of like one person at the front giving an opinion and perhaps you know trying to facilitate discussion and and yeah look at lots of different opinions even though i think that's been a bit tricky hasn't it with um with covid because like discussion things has been a bit yeah weird should we do this is it okay how can you do that with masks you can't hear what people are saying um so actually where we've ended up is but maybe what, more, what, be, what might be more useful, rather than sort of zooming on, on really uh, specific topics, is perhaps starting off by equipping people with a framework or a kind of set of tools that we can then use to make decisions about these kinds of specific ethical issues. And we also want to understand a bit more about maybe where some of our ideas might come from and how where we're at in our faith can impact how we make choices about things. I guess it's uh, a similar principle to that whole sort of give someone a fish and they'll eat for a day and teach them how to fish and they'll eat for a lifetime. (laughs) So maybe if we can sort of look at what are the big tools, what frameworks can we use, how can we develop our understanding so that actually when a big question comes up or an ethical issue comes up, we can sort of make that decision ourselves about what we think and, and in community with others as well. So May is going to be focused on some specific tools and frameworks that can be used to make those decisions. And then in June, we're going to focus on some of the specific topics that you have suggested as a way to kind of practice the new things that we've learned. And in July, we're going to have uh, sort of a mini-series on war and peace. And actually, lots of you said, you know, obviously, with what's going on in the Ukraine, you know, we need to think about this, we need to look at war. But more than that, you know, peace and peacemaking, what that actually means. So that's going to be what we do in July. So I'm kicking us off today, and I want to think about something super foundational to us as a church, and that is something called progressive Christianity, So as an Oasis church, we have these four defining characteristics. You can read more about that on our very shiny new website. But one of those characteristics is an open, progressive theology. So as a diverse and inclusive church, we obviously welcome everyone. So no matter what their theology or beliefs, and I think one of the things I love the most about this church is actually we do have quite a bit of diversity in terms of belief uh, and theology. But I think as a leadership, we align ourselves with what we would define as a progressive theology, and we're moving in a, in a progressive direction as a church. So we believe that a progressive theology itself is this amazing lens through which to make decisions about our lives and the way we live out our faith. But we've never actually directly talked from the front about what that means and what progressive theology actually is, so we thought that might be a good place to start. So firstly, a sort of disclaimer. We are talking about God, the creator of the universe, the king of kings, name above all names. And I think, therefore, every label, every definition, every expression of language is going to fall short of describing God and all she is and means to us. And within faith communities, you might actually hear lots of different labels, you know, conservative, liberal, evangelical, contemplative. I don't know which are the ones that that you've heard. But just as labels actually fall short to describe God, I think they probably fall short to describe us, too. Personally, I found the world and the language of progressive Christianity to be incredibly life-giving and helpful and healing. But like all labels, it falls short to describe the God I know and my journey as I live my life with that God. So I think let's look into it and embrace it if it's helpful for us and perhaps use it to, to develop our understanding, but also understand it's just a word and it's just a label and it doesn't matter um, if it doesn't you know completely describe your experience or resonate with you. So what is progressive Christianity? Is there some sort of definition that we can find to kick us off? It would be very helpful if there was, wouldn't it? Um, Understanding the word progressive itself, I think, can help us here because it's used in, in lots of other disciplines and areas of life too. So you'll find progressive politicians, progressive schools, progressive economics. The dictionary definition of the word, I think, brings out this idea of sort of progressive encouraging change in the way that things are done. So I think in its simplest form, we could say progressive Christianity is a Christianity that encourages change and newness. I think that's really the core part of it. But I do love a definition, and I have managed to find one. Um, and a more, yeah, a more comprehensive one, I guess, is um, in a book called Kissing Fish by a guy called Roger Wolsey. And he also, he's also got a Facebook page called Kissing Fish, which posts some quite good stuff. If you're on Facebook, it's worth looking up. And the, the subtitle of his book is Christianity for People Who Don't Like Christianity, <laughs> which I quite like. And uh, he, in this book, sort of talks about what progressive Christianity is, and this is his definition, which I think is really nice. Progressive Christianity is defined simply by its willingness to question and to be changed when it can be shown that change is necessary. It is willing to examine itself, to reformulate itself in the context of the world in which it lives. Progressive Christianity lives. It lives and breathes. It grows and develops. It lives in the tension between valued and trusted historic traditional formulations, and the need to always express anew what the gospel means and can mean to the world. So I think this definition is really helpful, and I want to actually just spend the rest of my talk pulling out, I think, three main ideas from it as we explore progressive Christianity this morning. So firstly, the idea of change and perhaps when change is necessary. Secondly, this idea of, of growth and development. And finally, the tension between tradition and newness. So we'll start with with change and when that is necessary. So many people who have found a home in progressive Christianity are people for whom a previous expression of faith has stopped working for lots of different reasons. And some would use a word like deconstruction to describe their experience as this kind of like solid wall of inherited or passed on faith has perhaps crumbled under the weight of big questions or difficult life experiences and a, a world that is changing. And for me, that is definitely uh, an experience that I resonate with. So I um, I became a Christian as a teenager on a Christian camp and I had your like classic evangelical Christian experience of quite a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit um, that just massively got me in the feels in a way that like faith hadn't before so for me before that faith was like a list of things that you believed um, kind of boxes that you ticked whereas I suddenly had this powerful encounter with God that made me go oh okay this is actually real and yeah it, it's it's powerful <laughs> and uh, excuse me I think that kind of propelled me into this like very kind of outward-looking, action-focused faith, which I always feel thankful for, for the church that I was part of as a teenager and sort of where that led me. And from very early on, I just wanted everybody to know about this because it was like, why don't people know that God is actually real, you know, that it's not just this sort of list of beliefs? So I sort of just thrust myself into any kind of youth work, evangelism, stuff where we'd be able to tell people about God and who he was. And that led me into youth work um, and into uh, a skateboarding project, which I ran for an organization called Youth for Christ. Weirdly, when my office was up there, and so coming back here has been this very funny God full circle thing. Um, So the project was um, basically about, I mean, Youth for Christ works differently in in different areas, um, but basically Youth for Christ at that time was sort of about communicating the gospel relevantly to to teenagers and so the skate project I ran was a a mobile skate park and we towed it around in different places and we provided somewhere for for people to skate but also did talks where we kind of talked about God and it was a sort of evangelistic thing and I was kind of led to you know that I sort of got it Then I was like right it's okay so you become a Christian then you go make other Christians and that's what you do so that was you know that was what I kind of devoted my life to, to doing and um it was, you know, it's a really successful project. It was, um, you know, it had a real impact on people, and um, there was a group of young people that um, I sort of followed really right from the beginning of the, the project. And um, we did like an alpha course for skaters. That was sort of a course that introduced people to Christianity, but sort of through skateboarding, and everything that I'd been led to believe, at, you know, up to this point was was like, as long as you just make it relevant to them, they'll understand it, they'll become Christians, and then you know they'll go and make more Christians, and that that all that's how it works and this is a like, very, that sort of happened over a, a period of a few years, but these sort of 12 or 13 lads that were the first ones that did this sort of skate alpha course, and uh, we did this sort of weekend away and um, all of them became Christians, which I think was just one of the most powerful experiences of my life and still is powerful. But uh, within probably v- Four or five months of making that decision, every single one of those young people had sort of walked away from it or not followed followed through. Didn't weren't, weren't interested in church, and um, I just lost touch with all of them sort of gradually. And it sort of threw me into this crisis of like, hang on a minute, you know, this was this was what I thought was supposed to like how it was supposed to work. You know, that they'd become Christians and then they'd stay Christians, and they didn't. And so I think that was probably the beginning for me of a kind of unraveling of, like, maybe everything isn't going to work exactly as I've been told, you know, that it would work. And that just led me into this big um, sort of process of questioning, really. So at that time, I was like, I've just got the wrong answers. So if I just go and find the right answers. So I did a master's in theology because I was like, I just need to, you know, I just need to know more stuff, read more books. Um, So, yeah, I went and did that. And that just gave me way, way more questions. And as I started to look at the biblical languages, and I was like, there's so many things that the church has told me which just that this isn't what I'm reading or it isn't what I'm experiencing. So that was kind of like even more weird. Um, and I didn't, it didn't really give me any answers. And then um, at that time I was working uh, for a church and uh, the church I was working for, it, it kind of all fell apart in a really toxic and quite abusive way. Um, and it damaged me uh, very, very greatly. And it, that was the same for lots of my friends that were sort of part of that church. And it's sort of something I'm still <laughs> kind of recovering from really. Um, but that sort of led me to essentially needing to leave Bath Um, so I kind of moved back in my parents for a bit and again that was just like great now my life's fallen apart and even church isn't a safe place anymore and there were just so so many questions and I was probably you know on on the edge really of kind of giving up what I had in terms of faith at the time but annoyingly um, God is real. (laughs) So he just kept showing up. And as much as I tried to sort of walk away from organised faith and, you know, uh, sort of find a different path... God kept speaking. God kept bringing things up, and again, that's a whole other story in itself. But um, the end of that ended up bringing me back to Bath um, after i would met Sarah, and yeah, that was all obviously part of my questioning process as well. But I would describe it as kind of this wilderness, or, or and it's something that you'll find in in throughout the Bible of people experiencing the, these times of wilderness and exile. You know that you suddenly just get thrust away from everything that you thought you knew, and and you ask all these questions, and you don't necessarily kind of end up with with the answers. And at that point, I think it was a feeling of the faith that I'd grown up with just didn't work anymore for me. You know, it didn't work for me, for my life, for my friends. You know, it didn't, it didn't do what I was promised it would do. And not only did it kind of stop working, but actually I could see how damaging it could be. And maybe, you know, that maybe that isn't your story at all, but I tell you a bit of mine to illustrate that. I think for some of us, change is needed and our lives present to us the fact that change is needed. Um, not just because it doesn't work, but actually because it can be harmful. And we start to see that. And I think progressive Christianity knows that, you know, it knows that the old way of doing things doesn't work and, and that it particularly doesn't work for those who are on the edge. You know, those who are marginalized, those who are different, those for whom the mainstream or the, the norm doesn't work, if you like. And in my view, Jesus spent his time with exactly those people. Jesus recognized that the religious system of the day didn't work for the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized. And throughout the Gospels, we read of someone that came to show this new way. You know, the early Christians were actually called followers of the way because Jesus showed a different way to walk, a different way to live. He came to bring that change. And I think in that way, he was progressive. And there were loads and loads of examples of that. So Jesus often said this phrase, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You can kind of find it um, in a few different places, particularly around the Beatitudes. And this was often where he'd sort of present one verse of scripture. You know, you've heard it said this Old Testament verse, um, but I say to you. And then he kind of have this different idea or this new way or this different interpretation. And what I like about that is that he didn't reject what he was quoting, but he kind of added to it. And I think Jesus builds on what's gone before him, progressing it, adding to it, reinterpreting it for a new generation. And I think there's something really key about progressive Christianity in that. So in Mark chapter 2, Jesus says, No one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. skins." So already there's a metaphor there, isn't there, about kind of the the old and new. And actually straight after that, uh, he tells his disciples to pick up heads of grain on the Sabbath so they can eat, which is something that would have been forbidden according to Jewish law. So Jesus basically says that having what you need is, is perhaps more important than obeying this specific law. So in saying that, he kind of builds on what's gone before. He recreates and reinterprets it for a new generation, understanding that it's incomplete as it is and it doesn't work anymore. If you read the Gospels, you'll quickly grasp that Jesus' progressive ideas didn't go down particularly well with everyone. In fact, particularly with those who were religious and those who held power and those for whom the current system worked. So if you, um, if you Google progressive Christianity, sadly, most of what you find is pretty negative. You know, there are all these blogs and podcasts that talk about the evil of progressive Christianity and that it's not proper. And, you know, we're all heretics that don't care about the Bible. And, and for me, it just sounds really similar to the kind of stuff that people said about Jesus and the sorts of things that he was suggesting and saying and doing and about his followers as well. So I think it's really important to remember that today's heresy is nearly always tomorrow's orthodoxy. I love that phrase. Today's heresy is nearly always tomorrow's orthodoxy. So people that we kind of think are heretics today are often then become our kind of heroes of tomorrow, don't they? So Martin Luther, William Wilberforce. Even from science, you know, people like Galileo, some of their ideas at the time were were very progressive, new and different. And actually people were afraid by those ideas and, and you know, often people really suffered for um, suggesting a new way, suggesting that things could be be done differently. And when we became an affirming church, you know, when we joined Oasis, there were people uh, who didn't like it. You know, there were people who criticised us for it, people who even left because of it. And, you know, new ideas can be really frightening to some and particularly for those for whom the old way worked. So progressive Christianity recognizes that change is necessary and the old way of doing things just doesn't work for some people. And I believe that's exactly the path that Jesus walked and that we follow him in walking that same path. Okay, so let's think about growth and development then as a a key part of progressive Christianity. So progress and progression, I guess by its definition, involves this idea of movement, doesn't it? Change and growth, it's kind of a dynamic word. And if something doesn't grow or change or evolve, that's not usually a good thing. It's not usually a sign of health, is it? it's usually because it's dead, if you look at my houseplants. So if something has life, it grows, You know, and if our faith is alive, it will change and grow. So as a disciple, I think we are just constantly called to growth. You know, we have this lifelong journey, don't we, to become more and more like God as shown to us in the person of Jesus. And that never ends. You know, it's, it's going to be ongoing, it's eternal. There's always more to do, more to become, you know, a more fuller life that we can experience. And I think a disciple of Jesus is someone who's on that journey, someone who's always seeking to better themselves and the world around them. I used to uh, listen to Greg James on Radio 1 a few years ago, and he used to do this great segment on, the, on his show called Shouldn't Be News. Anybody remember that? So it was where like listeners phoned or they emailed in to confess things that they'd recently discovered uh, that revealed something they thought as, yeah, as completely untrue. So uh, one, one caller confessed that they'd only just found out <laughs> that hay bales wrapped in pla- black plastic were not, in fact, eggs laid by cows. That's what they used to think. And they used to think that the black bits on the cows were like bits of shells from when they were hatched as babies. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, another caller said that until recently he'd wanted to become a bin man or woman because they only work one day a week. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, this made me remember that actually uh, until worryingly recently I thought that eggs (laughs) were like half-formed chickens so I thought that you had to, like, collect them really quickly before they, like, turned into actual chickens, which explains why eggs gross me out a little bit. <laughs> but that's, that's not how it works, but... Thankfully, I don't think that anymore because somebody corrected me. But the, my, my point is that, thank God, um, I don't used to think some of the stuff that I used to think. And I'm sure you can all look back at things that you, you, know, you thought years ago um, that you don't anymore. But that's normal, isn't it? We move on and we change. We, we move on from ideas and opinions as new information comes to light. And as life experiences shape us and call into question some of the things that we thought we knew. So being a progressive Christian is, is about being open to that change and growth, you know, knowing that our ideas may be wrong and that we're open. You know, that's why we say we have an open progressive theology because you know, replacing one set of fixed ideas with another is not particularly progressive. You know, it's this idea of we're open. We're open to learning, open to newness, open to differing perspectives, even if we're you know, surprised where those perspectives might come from. So um, actually in a couple of weeks time I'm not going to say too much more on that because uh, Sarah and I are going to be doing a bit of a tag team talk to uh, talk about models of faith development or stages of faith because we recognise how important it is that when it comes to understanding sort of how we make decisions about some of these ethical issues, um, yeah, that sort of where we are in our faith is so important, it is so key, it affects how we think, the way we make decisions about things, the way that we interpret information around us. So understanding maybe how faith grows and develops some of the theories around faith development I think will be really helpful for those that have read the latest Brian McLaren book. And He has a kind of faith development model, which I think people have found really helpful. So we'll be looking at that one, but also a couple of others as well. So that will be in a couple of weeks' time. So finally then, the tension between tradition and newness. So something that I think that's actually really key to grasp about progressive Christianity is that it's not saying we should, like, reject everything, you know, that's gone before us, throw out everything that's traditional or conventional. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And I absolutely love the message version of that verse don't suppose for a minute that i've come to demolish the scriptures either god's law or the prophets i'm not here to demolish but to complete i'm going to put it all together put it all together in a vast panorama isn't that just such a lovely picture such a lovely way of describing it? and perhaps similar to that kind of demol- you know demolish just deconstruction sort of language that actually it's about this broad picture you know putting it all together So three quick gardening metaphors for you because I'm 38 years old now, so I'm afraid gardening and house refurbishment metaphors are are where I'm going now. I'm embracing it. So um, grafting, something that I've learnt from my wife recently. Grafting is the act of placing a portion of one plant into or on another stem, root or branch of another in such a way that a union will be formed and the partners will continue to grow. So I really love that idea as maybe thinking about that as being, you know, a bit of the task of progressive Christianity, You know, to take the best of what's gone before and let it merge with something new so that both can continue to grow. You know, it, it builds on what's gone before, it embraces, it respects, it appreciates what it's moved on from, but it leads it into somewhere new. I don't know if a tree trunk is officially a gardening metaphor, but, you know, we'll go with it. So... I love this, like the inside of tree trunks are just crazy, aren't they? The fact that trees just grow and there's just these layers that build over over years. And growth for a tree does not look like rejecting everything that it's been before. You know, it's still there, isn't it? It's just that these, these new layers have been added to it. You know, whatever we thought before, whoever we were before, whatever we've sort of emerged from, let's take the best of it with us and let it become something new. So lots of the churches that I've been part of in the past, I definitely wouldn't wouldn't go back to now, but actually I can I can look back and feel really thankful at some of the things that I learned through being part of those churches. Even the churches that were abusive and toxic, actually, I can take things from there and go, yeah, but you know what, that's when I learned how to do that or that's when I realized that or that's when I learned that particular thing about God. So everything that we've experienced, everything can be used. That's one of the things that I love about God is that nothing is ever wasted. So we take the best of, of what, what's gone before for us and we we build on it just like a tree trunk and then roots I love that picture roots are crazy aren't they I think you know maybe when you think of a word like progressive you know you think of something like really out there don't you some sort of super lefty anarchist radical Uh, but actually when you look at what the word radical means it's from this latin word that means root so it just means something that comes from the root So the earliest uses of radical are are all about literal roots, so of, relating to, or proceeding from a root. So to be radical is actually to grow from something that's gone before you, to be connected to the beginning, you know, to build on something. So I've got a bit of a confession to make about the word deconstruction. I actually really don't like it. As a metaphor, I think it really falls short. Because actually, if we're honest, you know, deconstruction or destruction is uh, is pretty easy, isn't it? Um, again, more house refurb. Um, we recently had a our, our 1960s gas fireplace ripped out by the lovely Mike. Thanks Mike. And I was like, I thought this would be this big thing. you know it would take like days and it would have to be like no, it took you what like 20 minutes of just like ripping it out and there it was suddenly on the front lawn. <laughs> um, but destruction is you know quite fun but not very difficult. Um, no offense Mike. And I'm very glad that you did it and not me. <laughs> um, but yeah same with blowing up a building you know any sort of demolition you know trashing stuff is is easy but actually the process of building something of of recreating you know that that takes years and what are you left with when you smash something up you know when you destroy it i'm not sure that it's anything of much use so um, having said that, I've really aligned with some of the, the deconstruction, you know, podcasts and books and stuff that's out there. So um, I've been, you know, for a few years actually looking for kind of something that described my experience better. And um, I think I found it really. So uh, in uh, Brian Zand is a, an American writer that I really enjoy his stuff. And his in his most recent book, um, it's called When Everything's on Fire. And I'd really recommend reading it, particularly if some of this is kind of, yeah, r- resonating with your experience But he, um, in this book, expands on this metaphor that he's actually used previously when he criticised the term deconstruction. So he describes this beautiful icon, you know, a painting of Christ that over the years has become thick with dust, grime, and dirt. And an art restorer is commissioned to slowly, carefully, and lovingly brush away every layer until the original image is restored and the face of Christ can be seen as it was always meant to be seen. I love that. I read that and I was like, that's the one. <laughs> um, because it's not about sledgehammers and dynamite, is it? You know, it's brushes and fabric. It's just how we gently and lovingly discover what was there all along, you know, that we peel away these layers that people chuck on, you know, religion and God and, you know, all that, the language around it, the ways people interpret it to suit themselves. So, all these layers of grime and that's our job just to gently peel that off with reverence and awe you know, and reveal the, the, the face of Christ. And I think that is what progressive Christianity is about. You know, we accept change is needed, but we know growth is healthy and it's part of our path. But we don't reject anything that's gone before us. We simply build on it, grow with it because of it. We don't destroy or destruct. We restore. And we hope that in our restoration, we may reveal the face of Christ to ourselves, to each other and to our world. I will end with one of my favourite Rumi poems. Out beyond the ideas of wrongdoing and right doing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. And you know, whatever, you know, you might be sitting there going, Yes, this is it. I love progressive Christianity. You might be going, I'm not really sure about that. And and it I kind of just wanted to end and we'll move into communion to, to sort of finish today, but it doesn't it doesn't matter, you know, it's kind of at the end of the day, we're all just trying to figure out you know we've all had our lives changed by this Jesus guy as revealed you know through God or you know whatever language you want to use. We're trying to work out what that actually means um and I think the the communion table, which is why we were kind of move into that, is that place where you know beyond who's right and wrong and which label and whatever we want to use, we're all together in this community in love trying to help each other work out what this means to to live this out um yeah. So I think maybe that's kind of where we'll we'll land is just, hopefully some of that's helpful. Hopefully it explains a little bit what progressive Christianity is, but ultimately we're together, we're in this community, we're following Jesus, we're trying to work out what that looks like. And the communion table is, is hopefully where we remember that it doesn't matter what label you use, how you identify, um, that you're welcome here and you're part of us and you're accepted and you're part of God's family. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.